We've made it to week seven of Alive and Free. We're just keeping it running. This series, Alive and Free, is based out of John 10.10, where Jesus tells us that the thief or the enemy of your soul has come to steal and to kill and destroy. That is his goal for your life, to keep you from the eternal life that Jesus died for you to have. That's what his goal is. And so we are tackling, we're talking about killing the things that are killing us, coming after the tactics of the enemy, the ways that he is robbing from us, that he is killing life in us. We've talked about addiction, we've talked about fear, we've talked about distraction, we've talked about comparison and anger and apathy because we wanna be alive and free. In the second half of John 10, 10, Jesus says, hey, while the thief comes to do those things, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, life abundant. That's what Jesus has for us. And I think, and I can hear from a few of you, you want that. And a lot of people have been saying, man, I needed this series, I needed this sermon, whatever it was. But here's my worry when it comes to church and us as human beings. My worry is that we say, man, I really needed to hear that. And a month from now, your life looks exactly the same. That nothing actually changes. And I do think you want that. I think you want to be alive and free. If you're like, I don't care, then you can go back and listen to Ryan's message on apathy last week. (laughs) But I think that we want to be alive and free, but it's challenging. And I think a lot of the reason that it is is because of the chaos of life, because your life is chaotic. This world is chaotic. And I wanna talk about chaos today because I think it is one of the things that is keeping us from thriving and being alive and free. And I know it's an extreme sounding word, but if you look at the world, it feels pretty chaotic. Your life might feel chaotic. The definition of chaos is complete disorder and confusion. And you might say, I don't know if my life has complete disorder and confusion, but it's certainly got some chaos. It's got some of this in there. Starting with our minds. I don't know about you, I feel like my mind is just chaotic. I can't remember things. It's hard to keep track of things. There's like this brain fog all the time just because there's so much bouncing around. That's why I worry that maybe church for you is like your life is so chaotic and you come up for air for a few seconds, like, oh, I needed to hear that, but then it's right back into the chaos of this world and there's no chance for it to take root and actually affect life change. And the point of this is not to just be like, yeah, that was good, I needed to hear that. It's to catalyze life change so you get to experience the abundant life that Jesus has for you in the here and now. But as humans, our nature is not in the midst of the chaos of life. We don't simplify, we just add on more. Your day looks like this. On average, you listen to a podcast for an hour, you're on social media for two and a half hours, and you watch, you stream shows for three hours. That's six and a half hours that you're just taking in content. So it's no wonder that you hear a sermon, and then a month later you're like, I don't really remember what that was about. I know it was good. I think there was something in there that stuck out to me. It's no wonder I go to read my Bible for 10 minutes and it feels like my thoughts are so chaotic and fragmented, I I can't even really track what it's saying, but then it's on to the next thing because life is chaotic. The the male brain is compared to a waffle (laughs) because we're good at compartmentalizing. You put things in their proper place, like this is my family compartment, this is my work compartment, this is my sports compartment, right? And I feel like I am pretty good at that, but I'm getting worse at it. Because if you're pouring syrup onto a waffle, eventually if you just keep pouring it, it just floods the whole thing. And that's how my brain feels. And we're just talking about our thoughts, the stuff bouncing around here. Not to mention you have a job or you're in school, a relationship, a spouse, if you have kids, man, you know that chaos is just part of your family. 
You've got hobbies and passions, things you want to do. You've got things you have to do. I feel like the moments in my life where it feels like the dust settles and I sit on my couch and I'm like, you know what? I feel like everything's where it's supposed to be. I look out my window. I'm like, I've got to go mow my lawn. That's chaotic now. There's always something. There's always things that make us feel like, man, why can't I ever have simplicity and peace in my life? And there's actually a scientific force behind that and a spiritual force behind that. Let's go to science class first. I was reading an article this week about entropy, along with probably most of you studying that this week. And it, it says in this article, in short, we can define entropy as a measure of the disorder of the universe. As you guys, you guys already know that. Entropy is a measure of the disorder of the universe. It says the second law of thermodynamics states that as one goes forward in time, the net entropy, the degree of disorder of any system will always increase. Entropy is simply a measure of disorder and affects all aspects of our daily lives. Listen to this. Left unchecked, disorder increases over time. This is the way of the world. This is the, the motion of creation. Energy disperses and systems dissolve into chaos. And the article paints a picture of the, the minute little things that are chaotic all the way to zooming all the way out and seeing that the entire universe is marching towards a collapse. That is the way of creation, is chaos leading to collapse scientifically. That's what entropy is. So I can illustrate that to you through science. I can tell you a story as well. When I had my first ministry gig, I was out in California, I was a youth ministry intern, and we started the school year and split the kids up to do small groups. So one night a week, we'd meet with our small group, and my buddy Nate and I were in charge of the sophomore boys small group. And you may not find a human in its a primal state more than a sophomore boy in high school, right? There are some of our youth kids in here, and you guys are outliers. These kids, they were not outliers. They were punks. They didn't want to be at youth group. Their parents made them go to youth group. We knew, Nate and I were like, if we, we're going to get them together on Wednesday nights, they're not going to do a Bible study. They're not going to tell us about their lives. We need to just be men of God in their lives. Just get in their lives and hang out with them. Get to know them. So we told them that. We're just going to go and hang with you guys Wednesday nights. We'll pick you up, and, and we'll do what you guys want to do. And so the first week, they were like, hey, you said that we'll do what we want to do. You know Dakota from youth group? We're like, yeah, one of the girls that they were friends with. We want to teepee her house tonight. And so Nate and I sat them down and we lectured them about vandalism. You have college applications coming up. Do you want to have vandalism because you TP Dakota's house? No, we drove to the store, we bought toilet paper, and we TP Dakota's house with them. <laughs> Youth ministry is the Wild West, you know? And this became the theme of our group. Basically, every week we'd get together and play pranks on kids and leaders from the youth group. To the point that these boys nicknamed our small group Chaos. We'd see them in town or on the beach, and they'd go, hey, bro, Wednesday night, chaos? Chaos indeed, my friend. I'll see you then and see what we dream of. Now, this is, I realize, not a very effective ministry model. I was new. I didn't know what I was doing, but we bonded. We had fun together. got to know these kids. Point is, left unchecked, in our most primal human state, we will drift towards chaos. We will choose chaos. We want to mess things up. That's who we are as broken human beings. Disorder is our default as broken humans. And it's fun, and it's funny to talk about when we're TPing houses. It is sinister when the chaos of your life is keeping you from knowing God, keeping you from hearing the voice of God, keeping you from being with God. Psalm 46.10 is a famous verse. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And I worry that so many people don't know that he's God because nobody's still, because we're so chaotic, because that's the force that's pushing us is chaos. When do we ever stop to be still and know 
that he's God. He will be exalted among the earth. He will. If God says he will, he will. But in too many lives, he's not being exalted because we don't know that he's God because we're never still. And this is the plan of the enemy. Disorder is our default. That's what he wants. This plays into his hand. He's like the Joker in the Dark Knight, an agent of chaos, introduce a little anarchy, right? In those movies, you normally have two types of villains. You've got like the diabolical genius with a plan and he's always one step ahead until Batman gets a step ahead of him and stops him. Then you've got the Joker type. Some men just wanna watch the world burn. Our enemy is both of those wrapped into one. He wants to watch this world burn. He wants to kill and steal and destroy. That's his plan for your life. And his method is chaos. Chaos and calamity, disorder and division, confusion. Chaos, throw wrenches and get us chaotic so that we can never be still and hear the voice of our God. For some of us, maybe your spiritual life feels very chaotic and maybe that's been licensed as a move of the spirit. Do not mistake spiritual chaos as a move of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of confusion or chaos, but of peace. God wants peace in your life. For you to be calm in the chaos, that's what we're talking about today, being calm in the chaos. Because there will be chaos. Science tells us that. A broken, fallen world, an enemy, that tells us that. That's gonna happen. But you can be calm in the chaos, like Jesus in a boat taking a nap in a storm. Calm in the chaos. This is going to be a very practical message. And for some of you, you'll, you'll be thinking, this isn't spiritual enough for me, and you're the exact people that this message is for. This is a practical message. And my hope is that it's healthcare for you so someday you don't need sick care because your life is so chaotic heading towards collapse. Moving to a state of being spiritually and practically proactive rather than reactive. And so I'm gonna give you some keys to living calm in the chaos and you don't have to necessarily think of this as like an order to run through. This might be five minutes of your day and then at points it'll be months of your life under one of these things. I think of these keys as they all have to work together and they're like umbrellas that you need to come under one of them as the chaos of life is raining down. My guess is that there's gonna be something that speaks to you maybe from each of these keys, but there's gonna be one that sticks out to you and I want today to feel simple and peaceful, like you can actually take it in. And so if there's one thing that sticks out, then go there with God this week. Pick that thing, that key. Here's five keys to live in calm in the chaos. Perspective, you gotta know your God. Identity, know yourself. Vision, know your purpose. System, know your plan. And motion, make your move. And that might sound like, well, those are kind of obvious, big picture things. I've, I've heard that stuff before. It tends to be the most obvious foundational things that we outthink and then wonder why our lives are so chaotic. Today's about simplicity and peace and calm and the chaos, starting with perspective. You gotta know your God. Everything starts and ends with knowing God, knowing who he is, being spiritually grounded, not in your truth, but in his truth, in the truth of who he is, what his word says, what it tells us about him. And when you get this perspective about your God, it speaks to how he speaks to chaos. Genesis chapter one, the first page of your Bible tells us the creation story. And here's the first four verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then in verse two, we get this phrase, 
the earth was without form and void, formless and void, which comes from a very fun to say Hebrew term, tohu wabohu. Try saying that, tohu wabohu. Formless and void. This is where we get the word uh, tofu from. Not true, that's not true. Good, helpful to think of that though, because that is kind of what tofu is. Formless and void. One scholar translated it wild and waste. Really loved the tofu thing back there. Tell you, GBB probably, they laugh at everything. Some of you guys are like, ah, uh, this guy's not Jim Gaffigan. That's for sure. I'm not giving him a laugh. GBB, they, they laugh, they cheer, they're awesome. Love you guys. Here's what Tohu Wabohu tells us. The story of creation in scripture is not simply that God created something out of nothing. It's that God took chaos and put it into order. That he is a God who is in control of the chaos and ordered it and put system to it, which speaks to science. If you look up chaos, the definition <clears throat> from physics, it'll tell you this. Chaos is the formless matter supposed to have existed before the creation of the universe, which is what Genesis just said that there was this chaotic, wild and waste matter that then God ordered, that he put and spoke into order. It speaks to things like chaos theory, scientists who are studying the unpredictabilities of the universe. There are so many systems and ways that God laid things out that we can wrap our minds around, and then there's some things that we can't. And it causes us, even the smartest people in the world, to throw our hands up at times and be like, I don't know, I don't, I don't get this. This isn't how this is supposed to go. This isn't what I would have done. I think that's good for us. You read about entropy and it's like, basically everything's chaotic and heading towards a collapse. You're like, geez, well, that sounds bad. Seems like some bad news. Left unchecked, that's where creation heads. But it's not left unchecked because God has checked it and he puts chaos into order. I think it's interesting that God chose to reveal to us the creation story by telling it. It wasn't that God said, because he could have, in the beginning, God said, let there be ordered, structured creation. But rather, he tells us it's that there was this wild and waste tofu, right? That he ordered, that he took this chaos and turned it into beautiful, godly order. And when you have that perspective, when you know your God is in control, even when you're not, you can stop and be still and know that he is God. That he is the God who is in control of the chaos that we're not. That he is beyond all of this. I feel like he's winking to us from Genesis 1 to let us know, I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God, and you don't have to be. Because when you know who God is, then you can know who you are. You can know yourself. Not you creating God in your image, but realizing that you've been, been created in his image. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing because here's what it tells you. I'm created in the image of a God who takes chaos and puts it into order. So I am not called to chaos and collapse. I'm called to peace. A person of peace meant for calm in the chaos of a broken, fallen world. And I can feel the pressure come off of me and let him be God. One of the enemy's greatest tactics in our lives is that he gets us to focus all of our energy on trying to control the chaos that we can't control while justifying the chaos within us. All of this chaos beyond us that we spend all of our energy on while justifying or accepting the chaos within us. And that's what the enemy wants. He's whispering to you all the time, you could be like God, you know better. How many people right now, how many commentators, this is what social media shows us, how many people think if they were in charge of the world that they would set everything right? I know how this is all supposed to go. If I had the keys, the world would be perfectly ordered, right? There wouldn't be any issues. And I look at so many of the people that have that idea, I'm like, I wouldn't put you in charge of five people. 
You think you could control the chaos of this world and you can't even get through a day of your life without chaos spilling out. But this is what the enemy wants for us to get all of our focus on the things that we can't control while he's sliding in chaos into the areas that we can. And so when you know who God is and then you know who you are, you can do a really healthy exercise. You can split things into this is the chaos I can't control and this is the chaos I can control. And when it comes to the chaos I can't control, my posture here, my focus is going to be surrender and prayer. And when it comes to the chaos I can control, this is where I'm gonna go to work because God has given me power and dominion over areas of my life. He has given me the keys to run some things in my life and I can control these things and this is where I'm going to take chaos and put it into order. And then you go and live your life. You know who God is, you know who you are, then you need vision. You need to know your purpose, right? Why am I here? Everyone's asking that all the time. I think a lot of people's lives are so chaotic because we're spinning our wheels, running around, trying our hand at all these purposes that we're not called to. All these things that God didn't tell us to do. Everyone wants to know, what's my calling? What's my purpose? And God tells us in scripture, we just outthink it all the time and run into our own vision rather than his. In the very beginning, he creates humankind and he goes, hey, here's your job. Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, work the earth. Partner with me in bringing my glory and beauty out of creation. Build my kingdom. And Jesus puts pointed purpose to it in a fallen world where people, because of the enemy, are heading towards chaos and collapse. Jesus goes, here's the purpose of your life. As you do that, whether you're painting or you're parenting, you're sitting with a group of people, you're coding, whatever it is that you're doing, it should lead to you making disciples. That is the purpose of your life, is to bring people out of the worldly chaos and into the order of the kingdom. That is the purpose of your life. And we will all do that differently, but that's why you're here. And for so many of us, maybe we've never plugged our vision into that. And that's why we feel like we're spinning our wheels. Because you're not living the vision that God has for your life. Realizing that you have been chosen right here and right now to go and build his kingdom, to bring people out of the chaos of darkness and death and into the light of Jesus, the order and the peace that he has. But we don't naturally drift towards that. We get misplaced vision, or we don't have that vision. Scripture says, without vision, people perish, collapse, right? If we don't know who he is, we don't know who we are, then we have no vision. D.A. Carson says this, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Vision leaks. That's why you can be here on a weekend and be like, oh man, I'm ready to go, charged up, ready to run through a wall for the kingdom. And by Monday morning, you have drifted from godly order into worldly chaos. Without vision, marriages perish. Without vision, bank accounts perish. Without vision, talent perishes. Potential perishes, friendships perish. Without godly vision, we drift towards chaos and collapse. So you gotta know God's vision and plug into that and realize you as his kid have been chosen for the greatest call that there is to build his kingdom, to bring people out of the chaos of death and into the order of the kingdom of life. So that's great, but then you gotta have a plan to do it. 
right? You gotta have a system. You gotta have a plan to then go live that life. Everyone takes credit for saying this. I read it in Atomic Habits, so I'm giving credit there. You do not rise to the level of your vision. You fall to the level of your systems. Your goal is your desired outcome. Your system is the collection of daily habits that will get you there. I'm gonna share with you one of my favorite stories in scripture. It's not most people's favorite. It's not the type of story that inspires you. Here's my goal today, not to inspire you, but to help you. And this is one of those stories. Practical story where Moses in Exodus 18 is out and he's led the Israelites out of Egypt. They're headed on a long journey towards the promised land. And it's chaotic. Because there's like a million people and then Moses is the leader. And in this story, he gets visited by his father-in-law, Jethro. And he sees the chaos and then speaks to it. We read in verse 13, the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? There's just like this massive crowd waiting, like the worst DMV situation you could imagine. <laughs> Moses said to his father, he explains, well, here's what's going on. Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. Your plan sucks, dude. Look at what's happening. This is chaos. He says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You've got this vision. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. You are calling the people to God's vision for them, yes, but we need a plan to do that. He says, moreover, look for able men for all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. And here's what will happen. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. You've got to have a system to deliver the vision that God has given you. I love this story. It's so practical, but don't mistake it as not spiritual because it's practical. I love Jethro because he comes to Moses and he's not like us, like typical us, people of God that are like, hey man, I know this is crazy and chaotic, but God's got you and you've got this, man. Just like keep going. You're a great guy, Moses. You're so gifted and like you just gotta, you just gotta stay in it. Just keep going, man, and just try to fire him up and inspire him to run through a wall and Moses will wake up the next day like that worked for a day. Enthusiasm, that's great. But my plan's still broken, still chaos. Jethro comes, he goes, hey, I'm not here to inspire you. I'm here to help you with a plan, with a system to deliver the vision that God has given you. And listen to what Jethro says. Let's read those last two verses again. You put this in place, you have a system to deliver your vision, so it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. First of all, Moses, leadership is lonely. There's a million of them. You need a team here. You're not meant to do this alone, walk this alone. Sometimes we like to keep chaos around because it keeps us important. Sometimes chaos feels like friend security or job security because you're the one person that everybody's coming to with their chaos. And sometimes we let it keep running because it keeps us important. When our church first started in 2019, man, it was chaos in a lot of ways. Trying to figure things out. I'm a get stuff done guy, so I was spinning all kinds of plates and I started to really like that because it made me feel needed and important. 
over time as our church grew, I realized this is going beyond my bandwidth. I'm the lid on parts of our church. We need to grow this team which led to hiring somebody like Jacob to start running with creative parts of our church and hire Chris to run systems that I had started. It was needed and it was humbling because all of a sudden I was a little less needed and important. I was starting to watch people who are better at those things than me take them to places I never would have. Humbling, needed, healthy. I'm healthier because of that. Our church is healthier because of that. Sometimes we like to keep chaos around to keep ourselves important when really we need to make decisions for peace. Sometimes chaos is our excuse not to make hard decisions. How many people do you know, of course it's your friends, never you, but that are in that relationship that you would walk up to like Jethro and go, what you are doing is not good. This relationship is a mess, it's chaos, it's going to collapse. A lot of times we avoid the breakup just because it'll be hard, so we'll accept the chaos instead right? It's hard to make those hard decisions, so we will let chaos reign in our lives when really, we, what we really want is peace. And that's what Jethro tells him is going to happen. There's going to be peace, but not just for you, Moses, for the people around you. That's the thing about chaos. It doesn't stay here. If you're a chaotic person, that is spilling into the lives of the people around you, whether you know it or not. He's going, Moses, you have a duty as their leader to have a plan in place and not spill chaos everywhere. Lead these people in peace. He says that you'll be able to endure. We're playing the long game here. We got a journey ahead of us, bro. This is gonna work for a couple more days maybe until it collapses. We're playing the long game here. We are here to build the kingdom. That takes work and planning. The people making the most impact in the world right now have the plans to do so. And I wanna point out one last thing that God, he says. He says, if you do this, God will direct you. Do you know what happens right after Exodus 18? In Exodus 19 and 20, now that this plan is put in place, Moses is able to leave and go up on Mount Sinai and get the most important download from God the Israelites will get until Jesus shows up. Could it be that you're asking God to speak to you, but you can't hear him because you have no structure in your life, it's all just chaos, so you can't even hear his voice? And that Moses needed a plan in place so he could do what only Moses could do as the leader and go actually receive and hear vision from God for his people. But chaos was keeping him from hearing. And all of a sudden, God will be able to direct you through the plans that he makes with you. When my wife and I were just dating, just getting to know each other, I wanted it to be a Christian relationship, kind of a first crack at that, didn't really know what to do. So I thought, well, we'll just do a Bible study. So I picked a book of the Bible and told her, how about this? We'll each read a chapter of this a day, and then we'll talk about it at night. She was like, that sounds great. We made it two days. The second night, we're like sitting there, and I'm like, yeah, I thought verse four was cool. I underlined that. And uh, <laughs> we just started laughing, and we were like, this is forced. This feels awkward. Like, we don't need a plan. We're just going to organically talk about our faith. We'll talk organically about the most important parts of our lives. Years later into marriage, we sat in counseling, because guess what? We didn't organically drift into talking about the most important parts of our lives, because we're humans. Chaos came into our lives. Communication got broken down. We needed a plan, we needed structure, even if it was forced, to sit in counseling and learn to communicate with each other because we had neglected having any sort of plan to our communication years before. So a couple weeks ago, we celebrated our ninth anniversary and walking into that, thank you, save it for 10. 
before our anniversary, I took some time to pause and stop and be still and put some thought to our marriage to remember that it was God who brought us together, that we have a purpose in our marriage. And I went to my wife and I said, hey, a year from now, we're gonna be sitting at dinner on our 10th anniversary. Here's some vision for us. I don't wanna be sitting at that dinner like, wow, that was pretty crazy. We, we made it, cheers. Well, let's hope the next 10 are a little better, a little less chaotic. I wanna sit at that dinner and go, look at what God has done in our marriage. In the broken places, he's healed. Where there was a lack of vision, it's been restored. Where we needed godly perspective to be still and know he's God, we've done that together. We're not married for a tax break. That's not why we got married. We got married with the vision that we are kingdom builders. We are called to disciple people starting with our sons and moving to the community around us. We are here on earth. We've been brought together with our gifts together by God so that we can prepare his church for the coming of our king. That's why we're here. But vision leaks. And we had neglected a plan. So I said, I ordered us a marriage devotional. Call back to 10 years ago and we're like, we don't need this. And what we're gonna do is just read that day's devotion answer the questions, take notes, and then at night, we're gonna put the boys to bed and we're not allowed to watch TV until we have sat and talked about the devotion that day. Maybe it'll feel forced, so be it. We need a plan. And guess what? The days we've done that, we've never ended up watching TV. We've had the best conversations we've ever had in our marriage. Feel closer to my wife than I ever have. We have told each other things that we've never told each other. We've said things, shared things we've never told anybody. We had perspective. We had identity. We had vision. We just didn't have a plan. We needed a plan. And now we are watching structure defeat chaos, bringing us together, reminding us of why we're here. That stuff takes work. And we always are kind of like, oh, where's the time for that kind of stuff? When's the time to stop and think about the time that you're spending, right? We're too busy. We live in a culture where busyness and chaos is a badge that we wear, right? I was reading this woman, Debbie Millman, in a book, Tribe of Mentors, was asked, if you could write anything on a billboard that the whole world would drive by and see, what would it say? And she said this, busy is a decision. Here's why. Of the many, many excuses people use to rationalize why they can't do something, the excuse, I am too busy, is not only the most inauthentic, it is also the laziest. We do the things we want to do period. I read a study this week that 11% of Americans read their Bible daily. 11%. 56%, and I'm in this category, 56% said they want to read their Bible more. And I read that and I went, no, you don't. If you wanted to, you would do it. If you wanted to read your Bible more, you would read your Bible more. You fill your time, we talked about six and a half hours that you fill your time a day with other stuff. If you wanted to read your Bible more, you would read your Bible more right? We're just really, really bad at prioritizing actually living out the things that we say we want to do. But it doesn't matter if we say we want to do those things if we don't have a plan to do those things. One of the areas of our lives that I think we are the worst at is time. And that is one of the things that we actually do have control over. We don't have control over how much time we have left, but we have control over how we use the time we've been given. And I'm very passionate about time management. You can ask our staff this. This is going to feel a little, I'm going to Jethro you for a second when it comes to time. And for some of you, you're like, this, is, this feels like a leadership, like TED Talk kind of part of this message. The people I know who are the most practically ordered tend to be the most spiritually rich. 
Do not mistake, it's not spiritual because it's practical. So when it comes to time, here's my guess. It's a chaotic part of your life. And one of the reasons in your life that you may not have peace is this, an empty calendar. Now, for some of you, you might see that and go, actually, yeah, my calendar is empty because I don't really have anything to do, any responsibilities. And if that's you, I'd say, you need a plan. You need to get a job. You need to get some structure in your life, have some purpose in your life, not to just float around. The enemy, scripture talks all about how much the enemy loves us when we're idle and we have no plan. But my guess is the majority of you would look at that and go, that's not my calendar. I've got way more stuff than I have time for. And you probably do. But I bet that is how your calendar looks. You have no idea where your time is. You don't actually use a tool like this to actually have dominion and take control of the time in your life. And so let me just Jethro you about time for a second to give you some calm in the calendar because I think time is one of the places that is so chaotic that it's keeping us from being with God, being still and knowing that he's God. Treat time like you are biblically called to treat money. Starting with tithe your time. This is why we talk about morning routine all of the time. Watch what happens when you give the first fruits of your day to God. When you go and sit in his word. Watch how different your days are when you start with the perspective of who he is, of knowing your God, and being reminded of the identity of who you are and what you're called to, the vision, the amazing invitation he's given you into building his kingdom. Watch how different that day is than when you just wake up and you're thrown into the chaos immediately because you open your phone and you gotta jump into work because you overslept and blah, 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 blah. Tithe your time. Watch what God does with it. So there goes the first fruits of your day. Now budget the rest of your time and prioritize it. What are the things like Moses that only you can do? I make more appointments with myself than I do with other people. Like I knew that I'd need on Wednesday five hours to sit and work on this sermon. Why? Because this week that is my call is to bring the word of God to his people. But if I don't put that on my calendar, somebody's gonna hit me up and be like, hey, can we hang Wednesday afternoon? And I'll look on my calendar and go, yeah, I think I'm free. And then be stressed out the whole time when I realize I actually needed this time, but I didn't know where any of my time was. Prioritize it and then execute your calendar. And when you have a calendar where you've prioritized things like your family time and the things you need to do for work, the important things, not the urgent things, right? The important work gets done. You say, man, I wanna prioritize my health. Okay, well then put the gym on the calendar and go. Make that appointment. I wanna read my Bible more. Make an appointment with God. I, there was an older pastor one time that, I talked to him about getting breakfast and he was like, I actually have an appointment with God that, that morning, I have it on my calendar. And I was like, gosh, you're so structured. <laughs> Sometimes I think we feel that. I had a guy last night that was like, okay, I love like talking about order and system and stuff, but can we get overly planned? Can we get too lost in like being structured? And here's what I'd say. We always have to embrace the mystery of God. But I hear people say all the time, oh, just embrace the chaos. But we're called to resist the chaos of the enemy. Not to embrace it. When we embrace it, we're accepting the chaos that keeps us in a cycle of never actually knowing who God is in ourselves and the vision he has for us. There's always a mystery. We always have to be flexible, but within the plans of God. And I also said, hey, when it comes to maybe us getting too structured, uh, not this church. That's not us. We need this. We need practical control in the areas that we can, plans and systems. The most practically chaotic people tend to be the most spiritually chaotic people. I wanna help you today so that you can be spiritually rich Jethro would show up in a lot of our lives and look at our devices and be like, this is the most overwhelming thing I've ever seen. First of all, because he'd never seen a computer before. But he'd be like, there's like so many numbers of notifications that you have to check and they're just like crazy numbers. How do you keep track of all this? Your inbox is the most overwhelming thing I've seen. 
you already just by like opening that up, you feel overwhelmed and chaotic because you can't keep track of all the things that we're just taking in more and more and more. Deal with that stuff. Clear your inbox. Clear those notifications. Man, you're taking in so much on social media. Go look at the accounts you follow and ask what accounts are bringing peace into my life and what accounts are bringing chaos into my life and unfollow the chaos. For a lot of us, money is one of the most chaotic parts of our lives. We just swipe that card and we're like, whoo, hope for the best. Did that? That did go through. Great, let's get out of here before they say anything. Let's go. Why? Because we don't have a plan. We don't have vision for our money. Your life would be completely different. If you feel financially chaotic, if you actually tithed and you actually budgeted and you prioritized your money, put it in the right compartments how God has called you, and then you executed that budget, you lived out that way, you just did this how God called us to, you'll find financial freedom. Doesn't mean that you'll be a millionaire, but you'll be at peace. And when I say tithe, I know people are like, oh, this whole message just so we'll give at this church. I'll give you a list of five other churches right around us to go tithe that. I don't care if you tithe here, I just want you to tithe because you need to give the first fruits of what God's given you back to him. You are called to invest into his kingdom. We need a plan. You need to be proactive, not reactive. Like a tree that survives a hurricane, right? The chaos comes and you're like, how's that, how's that palm tree still there? It was rooted and it was ready, right? That's who we need to be. The world is chaotic, your life does not have to be. Does not have to be. So we end with motion. It's great to have a plan, but not if you don't do it. You guys recently read the article about the smartphone that was about to come out right at the same time as the iPhone and it would have taken it by storm and changed the world in a whole different way. Have you read that? You're lying. I just made that up. Because we don't read about the things that never happened. We don't read about plans that never get motion put to them, right? We don't read about that stuff. You gotta have motion, you gotta make a move. Maybe that is true, I don't know. God orders the steps of a righteous man. The steps, the motion. The spirit was hovering, moving over the waters, right? God is a God of motion. It doesn't matter if I tell my wife, hey, I wanna prioritize our marriage, so I ordered these devotionals. If I don't actually read it, take notes, and talk to her about it, right? It doesn't matter if we all go, man, that was a good sermon, I needed to hear that, and then a week later, our life looks exactly the same because we didn't actually put a plan in place and move on what God was speaking, right? Gotta have motion. So today, maybe that motion for you is one of those other four things. Maybe it's like, man, I just needed to get that perspective to realize that God is in control when I'm not, to surrender some things. I need a download of identity, of who I am in light of who he is. I needed to plug my vision into his vision. I'm gonna move into starting to craft that vision with him. Or my motion is I need to make a plan to carry that vision out. For this, this sermon maybe is just the kick for some of you. You've known what you're supposed to do. It's time to go do it. To go do what God has called you to, to build his kingdom. But I end here with a group of people I would guess that are like, man, this all sounds great in theory. I'm so desperate. I'm at collapse right now. I don't have the energy, I don't have the bandwidth to think about making a time budget. I'm not sure who God is, I'm not sure who I am, I don't have vision, I don't have a plan for my life. I am collapsing right now. And if that's the place that you find yourself, like hey, maybe this sermon will be applicable one day, but right now I got nothing in the tank. There is one thing for you today and it is motion. And I wanna illustrate it to you through a story in the Bible. I was trying to think about the most chaotic stories in scripture, chaotic moments. And it reminded me of Mark chapter five. Here's what's happening. Jesus is doing ministry. This man Jairus comes to him and goes, hey, my daughter is dying. Can you please come to my house? So Jesus goes with him and on his way, he gets caught in the chaos of a crowd. And in this story, we, we meet a woman mired in chaos and we watch how Jesus responds when she moves. 
It says, and a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Like dumb question, there's people everywhere. Somebody bumped you. Jesus looked around to see who had done it. He's looking for her. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He goes, hey, you've known chaos for far too long. It's time for peace in your life. That physical chaos, emotional chaos, mental chaos. And in this moment, when you're trying to make a move, you're met with a chaotic crowd of people. And I picture this woman, I've had these moments in my life where it's like, I don't know what else to do. I don't have all the answers. I don't have the res- I don't have any of this. All I know to do is just try to grab your robe. That's all I can do. I remember a night in college when I was having like an existential life crisis of who am I and why the heck am I here and I'm such a mess. It wouldn't have looked like that maybe externally, but inwardly that was what was happening. I was trying to figure out this faith thing and dipping my toes into following Jesus, but making mistakes and feeling like a fraud. And I went to a party and a friend of mine who I'd known for years, she came up and confronted me. She was mad. And she had heard a rumor that I'd hooked up with a girl in her sorority and ghosted her and been this terrible, awful, typical guy. And what broke my heart is that actually that story wasn't true. And she looked at me and goes, I don't believe you. That was the reputation I built. You ever been in a place where the people in your life that know you don't trust you? I left that party and I was walking home and I was like, I, my life is a mess. I have made a complete mess of this. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea where I'm going. And I went in my room and I just wrote in a journal. I had just learned about journaling, that that was the thing that Christian people did. So I was trying to do that. And I just wrote, God, I don't know if I really know you. I certainly don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. All I know is I need you. That's all I know tonight. That's it. All I know is I need you. And I just felt like then I just reached out and grabbed his robe. That's all I have the strength to do. That's the only answer I have. That's the only motion in my life is just to try to grab your robe, man, because I need you. And there's a crowd of people. And I know everybody's trying to get to you. A lot of times we're like, God's too busy. How could he possibly care or know about my life? I love in the story that Jesus stops in the midst of a crowd on mission to go save another life. And he stops for this woman. I don't think he asks who touched me because he's baffled. I think he asks because he wants her to come to him and look him in the eye. And that night I felt that. God, I know you've got a lot going on, man, but I'm just trying to reach and grab your robe. And he turns and stops for me and I felt his presence in my life. Hey, it's time for peace in your life. You're gonna need some new perspective. You're gonna need to get to know me. You're gonna need new identity of who you are because actually you keep on being in this cycle of chaos because you believe you're a fraud because you believe you couldn't possibly be chosen by me. It's like, you won't let me choose you, but I've chosen you, you're my son. You gotta start living that vision for your life. I have called you, yes, you of all people, to go bring people out of the chaos of this world and into the order of the kingdom, and I'm calling you into that. New vision, we gotta make a new plan. What you're doing is not good. This hasn't been working your way. It's time for a new plan, and we're gonna get to all that, but tonight, I just stop and I just look at you and I tell you, go in peace. It's time for peace in your life. The rest of the story, 
Jesus then goes and he finds out that Jairus' daughter has died. They tell him that, they're like, don't even bother. Jesus loves when people say something's dead, don't even bother. He's like, okay, I'm gonna go to Jairus' house. And when he shows up there, scripture says that he's met with commotion. All these people are panicking, why? Because something beyond their control, death has taken place, chaos. Jesus walks in, he sees the chaos and he tells it, get out. He goes upstairs to the girl's room and goes, get up. Get out to the chaos of death and get up because I am the light of the world. Scripture way back in Genesis, it told us that God spoke light into existence to push back the darkness, the chaos, and Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world. Those who walk with me will not walk in darkness and chaos, but will walk in the light, in peace, calm in the chaos. Jesus showing us that he has come to put things from the chaos of death and sin and sickness and pain and into the ultimate order, which is his order, death into life. And that's what he has for you, people of peace. So we're gonna sing a song called Peace. And you can stand and sing or you can stay seated. I want this to be a moment where you actually feel some peace. I've been praying all week that this would just feel like the dust settles for a moment in your life where the chaos stops. Been praying that some people would hear like that godly perspective, metaphorically looking to the stars and remembering a God who took tofu and made something beautiful out of it, that he is in control, surrender some things that there would be identity downloaded into some of you to realize, hey, you've been trying to not let God choose you, but he's chosen you. Not because of your resume, because of his, because he's got a plan for your life. He's got vision for your life. You are here to build his kingdom, to make disciples, to invite people out of that chaos of death and darkness and into the light of the world, into peace. That's why you're here. I've been praying this week that some of you, you have vision. You aren't quite sure what to do, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you in such a way that you actually get your notes out and you're just taking practical notes like God just downloading to you, this is what I need to do. That you would make that plan with him. And for some people in this place, in a moment of desperation, that you would simply just reach out and grab his robe and realize that he turns and looks at you and goes, go in peace. I've got peace for you. I've got hope for you. I've got life for you. This song means a ton to me. In the fall of 2019, this song just played on repeat when my life felt like chaos. We had just moved here to plant a church doing pre-launch services. The church was living out of my garage. Just found out my wife was pregnant with our first kid, gonna be a dad. Kept getting told no when we were trying to find places to launch our church. How are we gonna get people? Is this gonna work? Is this crazy? It felt like chaos. And then in the midst of that, my grandmother passed away, who was a spiritual rock in my life. And I was asked to officiate the funeral. And I remember getting on the plane and feeling like so overwhelmed. And I just put my headphones in and just played this song the whole flight. Peace to get that perspective that he is in control when I'm not, to remember that he's with me, that I'm his son, that he has given me a vision and he will not leave me, that he's got plans for my life. But in that moment, I just mainly need to just grab him. Just know that he stops for me, that he cares, that he's with me. And so if you guys would close your eyes for a second, I know there's probably some people in this place that you have never actually reached for Jesus at all. You've never actually gone to him, the Lord and savior of the world been trying to do this your way, living a life and seeing more and more chaos and collapse. And this is your moment to say, I wanna put my faith in Jesus, I need him. I don't have all the right words and you don't need him. I don't have the right resume, you don't need it. Jesus didn't stop for that woman because she had it all together. He stopped for her because she was collapsing and he's a God who lifts us up. And so if that's you, if you want a relationship with Jesus, if today you say, I need to reach for Jesus for the very first time and put my faith in him, would you just raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying with? Awesome, awesome. 
Awesome, people all over this room, man. I'm gonna give you some words to pray. You put them in your words. Jesus, I thank you, the Prince of Peace, that you have come for me. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died on the cross and shed your blood for my sins, that you paid the price for me. Today, I say yes to eternal life. I believe that you rose from the grave and I put my faith in you as Lord and Savior. I step out of the darkness and the chaos and into the light, Jesus, the peace that you came and bought from me with your blood. I thank you for your grace. Man, I love that a message that's about structure and practicalities and leadership, that there's people putting their faith in Jesus because that's what the gospel does. The gospel speaks in so many beautiful different ways. Thank you, Jesus, for people who put their faith in you today. For other people in this place right now, as we sit in this moment of worship, would it be a moment of peace? I pray for perspective, for identity, for vision, for plans, for motion. For those that are desperate right now that are just reaching, God, would you meet them? Would they feel your presence, feel your grace, feel your love? Know that you stop in the middle of everything with calm in the chaos, with peace, with life. So we reach for you right now as we worship in Jesus' name, amen.